Cinephile. Here's the man himself, Robert De Niro. Who can tell what a reaction will be to a film that nobody knows? The great Billy Bob Thornton, one of my favorite actors. The point of good acting is that you're supposed to be real. Cinephile. Virtuoso filmmaking by Scorsese. It's some of the best work he's done. The most famous person that follows me on Twitter, Will Arnett, <laughs> is in the house. Ego Mortensen, a tremendous story about working with Al Pacino on Carlito's Way. Cinephile. The Adnan Verk Movie Podcast. An anguished, contemplative film carrying the weight of a career summation. That weight doesn't crush the movie, it exalts it. You feel the passion, but none of the strain as it gains tremendous force. Scorsese summons every last ounce of conviction to question the very nature of conviction itself. And in the process, a movie that never insists on our faith becomes all but impossible not to believe in. That is a tremendous review by Justin Chang of the L.A. Times, who thought that Silence was the best picture of 2016, as did I. And we start with that note because Silence has been silenced, and I will speak of it no further because the Oscars did not care to shower with the lavish praise I felt that it deserved. With that, we say welcome. Great to have you with us because we do have tremendous news coming up. The, the pick-me-up that I needed after the silence snub. This is episode number 20. 20 down, 80 to go until we reach syndication. Coming up, Chris Beecham of Gold Derby will explain not only the Oscar nominations, but the SAG Awards. This is a stunner. Denzel won Best Actor. we got a race now, folks. It's not Casey Affleck's in the bag. Denzel's making a push. They love him in Hollywood. Could win his third Academy Award. This is big. Plus, the PGA uh, reacts to the Producers Guild Awards. So Chris is going to join us. Plus, I don't want to get too much into politics, but what character in a Martin Scorsese film did Marty himself say in an interview that Donald Trump reminds him of? I'll tell you who a little bit later on. Thanks, as always, for the iTunes reviews. Uh, this is one in particular. So since the last time Dan and I asked for you to, to post reviews, there's been 15 of them. I read all of them. I appreciate it. You guys are so kind. Um, I really appreciate the really nice words that all of you say. This one, though, particularly... I think is worth reading. This is from Omaha Insurance Guy. His reviews provide insight. I would love to debate him on Scorsese. I love a lot of Scorsese's work, but Adnan is blinded by his admiration. If you are in town for the College World Series, I can recommend some alternative theaters. I don't do Twitter or any social media. I'm old school. Phone and email. I'm a 60-year-old fat white guy, insurance agent, but I love film. Dan, I thought we had an 18 to 34 diverse demographic. No, we have 60-year-old fat white guys. What do you think? I love it. That was a that was a great review because he's spot on. You are blinded by your love for Scorsese, so I I kind of wish I wrote that. He wants to have a debate sometime. Um, before we move ahead, I do want to look back. Ice Cube was great. Thanks to all those who listened to the previous podcast. Quick story about him. So I see him in Tampa because I was there for my college football responsibilities. This never happens. And think about Dan, you or me. If you show up early somewhere, which he did. First off, he showed up ten minutes early. Nobody shows up early anymore in life. He showed up 10 minutes early, and when he was told he was 10 minutes early, he's like, oh, okay, did not immediately reach for his phone, did not go walking around Raymond James Stadium, did not talk to a couple of his handlers, and, and it was a small posse, for those wondering, a couple of guys with him. Careful with the word posse. Yeah, I don't you. know if you've been right. following Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson okay. and LeBron James. A couple of his friends. His crew. His crew. The group that was with him. The group that was with him. Instead... He saw me wanting to engage him in conversation, and so he did. So we talked for 10 minutes. Now, I know that violates some interviewer rules, like Letterman would never talk to his guests before when they came on air, like Greenberg very much the same. But I just started saying, hey, did you hear the Meryl Streep thing? He's like, what do you mean? I go, the Meryl Golden Globe, you didn't hear what happened last night? 
And he was like, no, I was fine. What happened to him? So I, I'm trying to explain her speech and what happened. He's like, oh, okay. I said, it's kind of a crazy situation, huh? And I thought it was so skillful of Ice Cube. He did not take the bait. He did not say whether or not he was a Democrat or a Republican. He just kind of said, yeah, no, people are definitely fired up. So it's a very vague statement. He didn't say, I'm fired up. And then I said, I kind of tried to make it easy for him. I said, well, Dave Chappelle had a great bit on SNL when he hosted saying, hey, listen, I guess I'll just have to enjoy the tax break. Maybe, maybe Q will go that direction. He's like, yeah, well, it's, you know, people in my economic tax bracket like him because of the tax break. I'm like, right. So which one are you? And then, then he, then he kind of goes, but yeah, where I'm from, you know, Compton, people don't like him. I'm like, all right, you're very, listen, you can be running for office soon because Ice Cube's not going to pick sides here, man. He has gone from straight out of Compton, F the police to now, hey, I'm just a corporate machine here trying to throw out the NBA three, but he was terrific. Really nice guy down to earth. Uh, we talked football along with the movies and stuff. And as you heard in the podcast, he was excellent. We also had Ben Lyons on. So Ben, I've never actually met him a year ago. When we first started chatting, we'd be on Rosillo and Canal, and Vince Cates, the producer would reach out to him since he knows uh, Ben. And I, like I said before, very like-minded. We both love sports and movies. And so we'd come on and talk a little bit, and then he had sent me a DM early January just saying, hey, you know, I want to chat top 10. Uh, and I said, to be honest with you, I haven't seen enough of the movies yet. I'm probably going to do mine in mid-January. He said, oh, I'm just trying to get my way on the pod, you know, LOL. And I'm like, Ben, you can come on the pod whenever you want. Sure. I, you don't have to have an excuse to come on. You want to just talk movies? Of course you can. So we had him on last. Before he came on, he said, just so you know, I am pushing to try to get you to the Oscars. And I would mentioned it to Dan. I'm like, yeah, obviously, whatever you can do. But listen, I've never met the guy. You know when someone says I'm doing something? I mean, again, I don't mean to sound pessimistic, but I don't know how much juice he has. I don't know how strong he's pushing. I don't, is he just being polite? I'm not really sure. Instead, we have this news to pass along. Breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. Dan teased it yesterday for those on Twitter. And by the way... That Twitter is getting some pub because Ben Koo from Awful Announcing immediately DM me. goes, what's the breaking news? Uh, a couple of friends, Krista DeMore, who works here, Krista now Lepard, uh, tweeted me immediately. What, what's going on here? I had a couple other texts. My buddy Alpha in Toronto was like, hey, what's, what's the breaking news? Like, so people are, are paying attention to that tweet. Um, I can't believe it. I mean, listen, we, we now live in a world in which Roger Federer is a major champion again. So I'm already over the moon. But now with this news, I might as well light myself on fire. I'm going to the Oscars. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Cinephile started in May. And now we're going to the Academy Awards. <laughs> Woo! Let that baby ride. Got the call from my agent on Friday. I'm going to read something to you. He starts reading it to me. Uh, and it just says, listen, we'd like to wonder about Adnan's availability for Oscar.com. It's the official second screen experience of the Academy Awards Facebook Live. He'll be one of the correspondents with Ben talking about the movies. After I doused myself, called Ben. I said, what, what, is this, what does this mean? And so he's pumped up and he goes, listen, this is what it is. Four hours of the Academy Awards. And, and for all of you, I know you're going to enjoy Jimmy Kimmel and watch the show. But please, second screen. Go ahead on your iPad or your iPhone. Click up Oscar.com and you'll see me chatting. Ben said, we're just going to talk. Because he goes, I needed somebody that knows the movies uh, as well as me. And he goes, quite frankly, in the past, hasn't always been the case. So with you and me, we need to vamp. We need to talk for 20 minutes about Lion. I know you can do that. I'm like, absolutely. Garth Davis directed it. Deb Patel, Nicole Kidman. What do you need? So so he said, like, Brie Larson will win the Academy Award. All right, here's Brie Larson in the media room. Brie Larson's going to walk by us. I said, hang on a second. Where are we? He goes, oh, we're on the stage. <laughs> I said, say that again to me. He goes, we're on the Oscars stage. We're right off to the side of it. 
I said, that is staggering. I, I, it's mind-blowing. So Brie Larson wins an Oscar. Okay, here she is at the media room. We go there for a couple minutes, and we come back, and we just talk. I said, okay, red carpet availability? Like, what am I going to – like, this is this is where it really upset me that silence was ignored. It's like, hang on a second. Marty would have been there. Now Marty's not going to show up. I'm like, oh, my God. I could have accosted him. Like, look at the dreams we're knocking out. Pacino in June, De Niro in August, Marty in February. Like, would have been amazing. He's like, well, I don't know about that. But and then my agent even was like, listen, listen let, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You just do what you're told. It's a rehearsal Saturday. The show is Sunday and move on. So then, of course, I because I'm a loyal guy, I said, hang on. What about my buddy Dan? This isn't fair. Like, come on. This is 100 percent. No, 90 percent because of Ben Lyons saying, I need this guy. But without the 10 percent of cinephile, Ben wouldn't have known, I think, the extent of the film Passion. We had talked on the radio. He's like, OK, I know this guy's a movie guy. But I, I've been meeting people now, Stanzik, who are like, hey, I'm a big movie guy. What do you think of this new dog movie at the theater? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. That's not my kind of thing. We, we, you know, there's all different movies in life. I just like ice cream. I don't, I don't taste all ice creams. I just like what I like. So anyways, Ben had to, you know, what kind of a movie guy is he? Okay, oh, he, he wants to talk about Kubrick films. All right, so he's that kind of a movie guy. Um, so listen, without Cinephile, it wouldn't happen because Ben goes, no, I heard the podcast. I heard how much you're into. We're going to do it. So I said, okay. What can I do? Is there a plus one? Can I get Dan involved? Like, what can I? First off, Eamon, like my wife said, wait, hey, you're taking Stanzik out of me. That's correct. I have to do this. He, if without him, this does not exist. So the first answer was like, well, they're not going to pay for his travel. I'm like, okay, I just thought I'd throw it out there. I'm like, well, I, listen, we have bosses here. We're not being paid, Genesini. I think Pete can foot the bill just to send Stanzik to the Oscars and a hotel room. All right, Motel 6 if it has to be, whatever. He can sleep in my room, okay? We'll do the whole plane, trains, and automobiles thing. We shared the same bed together. Those aren't pillows. It'll be great. So I'm working on the access. So Ben said, okay, talk to this person, which I've now done. So the latest we have is this. They said, okay, apply for credentials. The latest response I just got, Dan, was the credentials deadline is passed, but they'll look into it. So here is bare minimum. Bare minimum, <laughs> you and I will cobble together some money. And you can have hotel access. So they what, said, what does that entail? <laughs> the, the latest I received here was that you cannot go on the red carpet without accreditation. You can't go backstage with me, but you can hang out with me at the hotel, which is where I'll be in between the rehearsal and the actual Oscars. It's like basically saying, I'll meet you at the local gas station. So or- I'll be on my couch watching Facebook <laughs> Live on my iPad. <laughs> This is only year one. This is just the. It's an incredible rise, though. Honestly, it's as I told you, unbelievable. So happy for you. I will be watching. I appreciate, man. How how about the fact, you know, Dan and I have been friends for five years, and I think on the last podcast or previous, I said, you know, we never call each other. I don't call anybody except for, you know, my parents, my 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 nephews, nieces, my brother. I don't know if you're the same as me. I'm assuming. So. Oh yeah, I talked to one friend on the phone, and that is it. Right. So when I called. And the first thing I said to you was, hey, well, I always said, if I'm calling, it's a big reason. You're like, all right, what's, I'm, I'm in a sitting in the airport. airport in Orlando. And I'm like, what is happening? Why are you calling me? <laughs> oh, so it's going to be awesome. Uh, no matter what, we're going to have great stories. And hopefully Dan is there with me. But um, I, I don't even know what to say. But thank you to all of you for supporting us. Because obviously, without your support, this wouldn't have happened. We're also taking Cinephile on the road. This one I could take Dan with me if he can somehow get of his responsibilities. Because it would be a home game for you. I'm going to Syracuse. I'm going... To Syracuse, New York, to Lemoyne University, Kathy Leo Grand, who is the mother of Ali Leo Grand, who's great, who works here at ESPN and is wonderful. Um, she had said, "Listen, we'd love to have you come sometime." And I said, "Okay." And she goes, "You could do a bunch of things. You could speak about your rise, your career, blah blah blah." And she goes, "Listen, I know you'd rather just really talk to the film students." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. Can we do that?" And so 
as part of the gig, I'm going to be there for a day and a half, and I'm all over the place meeting with different people. But as part of it, I swear, Kathy's just doing this for me. She's like, I'll get you in the intro to film studies class so I can, I can like list it as an actual you know, part of my resume. I'm a film scholar. This is a description of one of the classes. Down these mean streets, men, women, and film noir. This course examines the group of films that have come to be called film noir, the dark cinema chronicling post-war American anxieties concerning place, politics, and gender that emerged most prominently in the 1940s and 1950s. In these films, the mean streets of the city are an extension of the distressed men and women who inhabit them. The women of film noir struggle with shifting gender expectations, and the men returning from the war confront overpopulated urban areas. They also deal with the rise of modern capitalism, later the civil rights movement, feminism, and the Vietnam War in the 1960s and 70s. Films to be studied, Cape Fear, Chinatown, Taxi Driver. Let's go. Three for three. It's going to be awesome. So I can... uh I don't think I'm going to call me Professor Verk, but I'm going to be there shedding some film knowledge. So open invite if you can somehow get out of your response. Yeah, see, I think people fail to realize that my other responsibilities here are this behemoth called Mike and Mike, <laughs> which uh, I probably cannot get out of. Right. So you'll be in Syracuse. You can call my parents. How, how great of that story would that be? How many of your siblings, Dan is one of six, how many of them live in New York or Syracuse? Three. My three older brothers all live in the surrounding Syracuse area. My sisters and I are out of the state. Okay. So if I... Because I, I wouldn't just go to your parents' house for you. You should go but, to Jim's house. But if you said Jim was there, yeah. I'd like, you know what? I've had a couple hours. All right. He's a big fan of Cinefile. Make it happen. <laughs> may actually happen. Uh, so look forward to that. Check out Lemoyne College. I'll be there February 15th and 16th. It's going to be a ton of fun. And uh, I appreciate Kathy for extending the invite to me. Oscars takeaway, shall we? Do we have uh, music for this or anything? Or no? Probably not, right? We blew the budget on <laughs> that uh, <laughs> cool sounder game. earlier. All good. Oscar takeaways. So number one, silence silenced. One Oscar nomination for Best Cinematography to Rodrigo Prieto. I thought it would get at least three Best Editing for Thelma Schoonmaker, who the Academy loves, and Marty's longtime editor, of course, going back to Raging Bulls over three decades together. And also uh, Dante Ferretti, the production designer. He often gets recognized, Gangs of New York, Hugo, etc. Uh, he was not nominated as well. So the first thought here is this. Well, why does anybody care? You know, like, listen, okay, I get the fact you love movies, but what do you care? Like, the Academy Awards are so subjective. Art should not be classified necessarily into awards. You enjoy art for art's sake. Oftentimes, films get recognized years later. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock never won a competitive Oscar as Best Director. So why all of a sudden are you crying in your in your Cheerios? Here's why. This matters a ton to Scorsese. It took him 28 years to make this movie. So anytime a director who I love and appreciate so much puts his heart into something and doesn't get recognized, I immediately just feel sorry for Marty because I feel like this mattered a lot to him. This mattered more to him than The Wolf of Wall Street getting nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, which is a fun movie, but I don't think it's ripped from his heart like this was. So one, I just feel compassion for him. I mean, I love the guy. His movies have had such a profound impact on my life. I feel like I know him. If he's down, then I'm down. But here's the other major part of this, and this is what people often I think miss about the Oscars. Dan has mentioned to me before he went and tried to watch all the best picture winners since he's been alive. Oftentimes, I think when you're indoctrinated into film, what you end up doing is – because people often ask, well, how did you get down the rabbit hole? And I actually think it's pretty simple. So you watch Taxi Driver and you read an article and Scorsese he goes, I'm uh, sorry, influenced by John Ford and the Searchers. So then I go look up the Searchers. I'm 15 years old. So then you watch the Searchers. You go, OK, I don't really like John Wayne that much. But what else did this director do? Because I think once you, you cross that path, you go, all right, generally you start with actors. You go, I love Michael J. Fox. I'm going to watch every Michael J. Fox movie. Then if you really get into movies, you go, okay, I'll go directors. So I go, okay, John Wayne's whatever, but John Ford. Let me learn more about John Ford. Okay, I'm going to watch Stagecoach, et cetera. 
So what happens is that my fear is years from now for film students, they're going to go, okay, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, Raging Bull, Tax Show, Goodfellas, Main Street. Okay, and they start going through all the films, and silence is going to be a curious footnote. It's, it's not going to get mentioned because you go, oh, it got like one nomination. I'm not sure why it didn't resonate with people. Probably long, slow, boring. Uh, I'll just watch, you know, Wolf of Wall Street again, or I'll watch The Departed. So it just upsets me that within his oeuvre of films, I think it's brilliant. As Justin Chang wrote in his review, like he thinks it has the weight of a career summation. So it upsets me if years from now people go, well, I guess there's no point seeing it because the Oscars didn't recognize it. Now, here's the other issue with this because people were saying, oh, the Academy hates Marty. Well, let's get this straight. They used to screw up early on. They didn't nominate him for Mean Streets. Howlingly Bad was not nominated for Best Director for Taxi Driver. But he's gotten a lot of love lately. In fact, some would argue almost too much lately. Prior to Silence, Scorsese's movies, five of his last six were nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. That was always a sure bet. And I think The Departed's great, as does Dan. But I meet people who don't think The Wolf of Wall Street was that great and don't think it should have been up for Best Picture and Best Director. And it was three hours of a bacchanalia. And you go, hang on, I I think he was kind of repeating himself with Goodfellas, et cetera. And it's a fun movie. So I I wouldn't all of a sudden go, oh, the Academy hates Marty. I'm like, no, listen, he's gotten a ton of nominations, especially lately. Like Hugo, I love and is clearly dealing with the film audience, but I don't think the average viewer sat through Hugo and said, this is clearly a great film. I think it's really kind of catered to that market. And I loved it because I'm part of that market. So that's number one. Silence for silence. I'll not speak of it anymore. I hope people see it. I'm thrilled the people who have seen it. People have tweeted me. I've gotten a couple of said I thought it was too long and boring. But the vast majority of people who have tweeted me said, listen, I thought it was very good. And a few said, hey, I thought it was great. I'm with you. And as one guy said to me, listen, Scorsese made a great movie. Hopefully people see it. If not, what are you going to do? Number two, Oscars, not so white. It's been the number two controversy, or sorry, the number one controversy of the last couple of years. I think at times it was accurate. Selma should have been nominated uh, for more than just Best Picture and Best Song. I think David Oyelowo should have been up for Best Actor. I think Ava DuVernay should have been nominated for Best Director. But I didn't think that Creed should have been up for Best Picture. I didn't think that... um, Fruitville Station necessarily should have received more acclaim. Uh, I didn't think Straight Outta Compton should have been up for Best Picture. So it's been very kind of hit and miss. At times, I completely agree that people of color have been ignored. And at times, I thought, I don't think the films were as strong as others. However, this year, clearly the Academy noticed Moonlight, Fences, uh, Lion, um, Ruth Naga getting nominated for Best Actress, which was a surprise. So clearly the Academy said, all right, we, we are going to uh, amend what we feel has been in the past. And these are really good films, so that's good to see. Definitely people of color. At the SAG Awards, three of the people who won were people of color. Denzel Washington, Viola Davis, and Mahershala Ali, of course, friend of Cinephile, won for Best Supporting Actor. Which raises me to number three, Chasing Amy. Here I give the floor to my buddy Dan. Arrival nominated for eight Oscars, yet Amy Adams, curiously absent. I don't even know what to say. I'm just crushed. I thought I thought she had the best female performance of any that I have seen this year outside of Viola Davis, who's in a separate category for supporting actors, which she will win. Right. And I haven't seen Jackie yet. I know you did, and you didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I know you saw Marilyn Florence Foster Jenkins or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> Amy Adams, to me, was the best. I thought it was her best individual performance. I thought she carried the movie. I thought she'd get recognized, and she didn't. That's... That bothers me not nearly as much as Silence Being Silence bothered you, but it, it, it hurt me a little bit on Oscar nomination day. Yeah, that was probably the headline. I think for the average person, they go, wait, Amy Adams didn't get nominated for Arrival? Especially when the movie did so well. Like when Silence just got completely ignored, you go, all right, well, maybe it's Paramount's fault they didn't distribute it or people just didn't see it. For whatever reason, the Academy did not take to this movie. Even my wife said to me, she goes, listen, it's a very Christian film for two and a half hours. Like it, It's Hollywood. That's not really their kind of thing. Um but 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 to your point, Amy Adams, well-liked actress, has gotten nominations galore in the past. 
It's not like, you know, there's some controversy with her all of a sudden. It's like, no, they love Amy Adams. She always gets nominated. And and it got eight nominations. So if the movie's great, the directing is great, it's up for Best Picture. Well, wouldn't one of the acting performances should have been recognized? And she's the heart of the movie. And and I concur. I think I love Meryl. But Amy Adams certainly should have been nominated. I, I The only part I felt not happy but a little appeased was Ruth Naga got in for loving. And the thought was that she took Amy Adams' spot. Now, again, I would reclassify and say I would take Natalie Portman out for Jackie, and I would have put Amy Adams in. Well, she took Amy Adams' spot in terms of there was a little typo involved. (laughs) That was also insane. Because as Dan was mentioning, he works on Mike and Mike, and and he's the only one who gets me on that show. So he was like, you want to come on and talk Oscars? I'm like, all right, once I get the kids to school, we can do it. So I was running around. I wasn't. People think I'm here glued to the TV watching it. I said to my wife, just yell out what's happening while I'm getting ready and getting these guys ready. And only for director, I paused. I ran over. Once I saw Mel Gibson, Hacksaw Ridge, I I said, okay, that's it. I'm out. I don't care anymore. So on the way, I was, I know, don't text and drive. But I was checking my phone, and I saw... Supporting actor, no Jeff Bridges, Heller High Water. And I go, wait, what? How is that not the headline? Everyone's talking about Amy Adams and Marty, but what about Bridges? So then thankfully I checked another website, which did have him that Hugh Grant was the one who was snubbed, who I would have liked to have seen recognized. And so what Dan's referring to, it's insane, like how there was all these leaked reports of misinformation, which almost made me look like an idiot on national television saying, how did Bridges not get nominated? Uh, he did. Number four is Heaven and Mel. Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge, as Dan tweeted from the Cinephile account, C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E, capitalized at ESPN. I love the verisimilitude. The war scenes are excellent, but as I said in my review, the first half hour is awfully corny. So I have a tough time now sitting here saying Hacksaw Ridge was nominated for Best Picture. Garfield's up for Best Actor when I thought he was better in Silence. And Mel Gibson's up for Best Director. Now, obviously, if I take off the Scorsese goggles and I say, all right, he wasn't going to get nominated – then I would have put Garth Davis for Lion. I would have put David McKenzie for Hell or High Water. Also movies nominated for Best Picture. I would not have put Mel Gibson um, for Hacksaw Ridge, even though he knows his way around those combat scenes. And, and I think Hacksaw Ridge is an important movie for him and a comeback movie of sorts. The real It's just a stunner, though, Dan. Like This, this is Hollywood. This is a ho- strong Jewish community. And considering what Mel said in the past, anti-Semitic comments, uh, spousal abuse, this wasn't like a movie where you go, they have to recognize him. He very much got the fifth slot. I, I was really surprised that he got the nomination. I mean, it was his reclamation project. A lot of that movie people thought was, you know, kind of personal to him. And maybe yeah. all is forgiven. Time heals all wounds. Yeah, I, I definitely was surprised. And number one, number five, friends of the show. Dan's very busy. He's going to go to the Super Bowl soon. But if we can in the weeks ahead, props to Mahershala Ali and Vigo Mortensen, who have been guests of Cinephile. If we can just maybe grab a clip from both guys, either talking about their films or whatever, and then I can tweet it, or obviously you can tweet it from the Cinephile account. In case you've missed those interviews with Mahershala Ali and Vigo Mortensen, as always, check us out on iTunes, the ESPN app, just to kind of build the Oscar buzz and prove we've got some credibility. Vigo was fabulous. That was before Captain Fantastic was released, and props to Carlton Gillespie in L.A. who got us the interview. We got along great because I grew up in Kingston, New York, and Vigo's from an area of upstate New York, so we talked about the Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Police and all the rest of it. But he can talk, and people listen to the interview. They go, man, Vigo didn't want to let you go. He kept going, and he really cared a lot about Captain Fantastic. I didn't think it was a very good movie. I panned it in my review, but I love him, and I love the fact he was so generous with us, and I'm glad he got recognized. So good for Vigo. I'll tell you what. I don't know if anyone's good at math out there. That's 10% of the actors nominated <laughs> have been on Cinephile. Podcast just started in May. Right? That's all I'm saying. This is where we're starting. 20 episodes uh, in the book. So pretty good stuff there. Those are my Oscar takeaways.
Quick thoughts here on a couple of movies before we're going to get to Chris Beecham of Gold Derby. Hidden Figures, I went and saw it. You know, Dan's an avid reader. When you go buy a book, they say, okay, if you like this book, others recommend. Like I just read, I heard You Paint Houses, which is the book about Jimmy Hoffa by uh, Charles Brandt. It's going to be a Scorsese movie soon. Pacino's going to play Jimmy Hoffa. I cannot wait to see this thing. And De Niro's going to play Frank Sheeran. Oh, and if you liked, if you can, if you know, I heard you paint houses, you should do this. Well, I will say this about Hidden Figures, which I'm giving two Maple Leafs. It is clearly not my kind of movie. I had no desire to see this. I realized if I didn't see it, everybody would think I'm a sexist and a racist. So let me just go ahead and see it because it's nominated for Best Picture. But it's so sanitized. Like, it is exactly what you expect. It's a Disney-fied version of the civil rights movement, and there is a scene. This is all you need to know. Oh, by the way, what I'm talking about the book, okay, if you like The Help and if you like The Butler, then you will love Hidden Figures. If you like to remember The Titans, then you will love Hidden Figures. Let me just say that in terms of movies featuring black protagonists, which I feel do not really hit the mark, which again, credit to them. It's a huge success at the box office. It got nominated for Best Picture. So listen, you don't have to make a movie with sandpaper every time, but I like a movie that has a little substance to it. It has a little bit of grit, which this movie clearly was not trying to do. They want a movie to have families can go see it. It's a nice, sweet movie and it's old fashioned. There's a scene where uh, Taraji P. Henson keeps running back and forth because she can't use the bathroom where she works, right? She's a black mathematician who's brilliant, but obviously this virulent racism exists. So they have this great great soundtrack, by the way. Music's playing. She runs. The bathroom comes back. Eventually, Koshner, who plays her boss, gets upset. He's like, how come you keep missing work? And she explains very passionately. It's a good scene because I can't use the same bathroom. It's a colored bathroom, et cetera. The next scene, Koshner takes a sledgehammer to the colored sign over the bathroom and there's like 20 black people, including Octavia Spencer and a few others, and 20 white people watching him do this. And I'm like, okay, did he give like an alarm? Like, was there an announcement? Hey, I'm going to take down the colored sign, everybody. Smashes the thing. Okay, now you can use your bathroom. And then he's like, all right, please use the bathroom, you know, whatever, nearest to your office. And they said some other line to which I can't remember, which was so on the nose and so corny. I said, all right, that's the movie. So if that sounds like something you want to see, Go enjoy Hidden Figures. It's made over $100 million at the box office, and it's a huge hit. Not my kind of thing. I, Dan asked me if I'd seen it, and I said, I'm going to see it grudgingly, but I do not recommend it to you or to people who share my taste. And it won the SAG Award. Great speech, by the way. <laughs> yeah, great speech. Trash Pants and definitely was fired up there. Trespass Against Us is another film. I'm giving that one Maple Leaf. It was terrible. And I love Michael Fassbender. He plays... A gangster, stop me if you've heard this before, English crime family, son does not want to follow in his father's footsteps, father played by Brendan Gleeson, who I loved in Gangs of New York. Um, Owen Gleiberman, or don't call me Gleiberman, call me Gleiberman, our buddy from Variety had the best review of this in which he said, even Michael Fassbender can't act his way out of this grungy pile of nonsense. There are a bunch of English lowlifes living in trailer park trash. There's nothing fresh about it. It's completely hackneyed. The best scene of the movie is Fassbender gets taken to jail and comes out, and then the village idiot is, like, wearing his pants. So Fassbender loses it and, like, strips the guy of his pants and has a bunch of blue paint, which he paints all over him. It's just so weird that that was the only thing that I really liked. And spoiler alert, in case you do see it, the last scene exists with Michael Fassbender up in a tree with his son dispensing moral and life advice. Please avoid trespass against us. There's much better out there. Last one. I never talk about TV, but I did it just for our guy, Billy Bob Thornton. I watched Goliath. Again, don't start recommending The Crown to me and things like this. I don't have time. I just stick to movies. But Goliath, I made the exception because of Billy Bob. And he said that he was motivated by Paul Newman in The Verdict to take the role, which is one of my favorite movies we've talked about on Cinephile. Suffice to say, Goliath is no The Verdict. <laughs> and I love Billy Bob, and I'm glad that he won an award for it. But Again, if you love legal dramas, like if you love The Practice or Boston Legal, then maybe you'll enjoy this. 
I just found it slow and predictable and it's kind of like, you know, these cable shows because the cable shows have been so good now, right? Breaking Bad, Sopranos, et cetera. So then it's like a version of a cable show. Like the, there's just some random lesbian scene they throw in there. I'm like, oh, just because it's titillating and we can do these things. And, and William Hurt plays a nemesis and he's just weird and strange. It's like they just start putting stuff in there because it's cable TV and we can do it. But it really doesn't make sense in, in the service of the story and really doesn't hold one's attention. Billy Bob has a great closing summation. I get why he said I want to play a lawyer because his actors are kind of like lawyers and lawyers like actors in which we try to seduce people. And he's great in it. Like I, I don't regret watching it because I love Billy Bob Thornton. And he was great to us in the podcast. And, and he's fantastic in the role, right? Drunk who's trying to clean himself up for this one last big case, which he's trying to do the right thing. But I'm giving it two Maple Leafs. Um, I guess it's short. It's only eight episodes. It's about seven hours. It's available on Amazon if you're into television and watching some serials. Again, if you like legal dramas, that's the one for you. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be headed to the Oscars, which is an extraordinary feat I never thought would be possible, clearly on my bucket list. And while I thank Ben Lyons for making it happen, I thank Dan Stanzik for investing in Cinephile. I also owe a debt of gratitude to my friend Chris Beecham at Gold Derby. He reached out to me a year ago and said, hey, Clearly, you're into this thing because I always hear you on the radio. So how would you like to be a part of what we do in our website? Check out goldderby.com for all the best prognostications. And clearly, I think that helped people realize that I am invested in this and that has helped my uh, my film portfolio. So Chris Beecham joins us now. Chris, thank you for doing that. Oh, absolutely. When are you going to win one of these contests? <laughs> exactly. I, I didn't do so well in the SAG Award prediction. At PGA, I did a little bit better, but I was surprised, as were many, by Denzel Washington's victory. But when we spoke on the video chat on Gold Derby, you said to me, watch out for Denzel because he's never won a SAG Award. And the SAG Awards, as you well know, are often an excellent predictor of what wins the Oscar. So how about it? Do we have a two-horse race now between Denzel and Casey Affleck? I really think we do. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting about Denzel. He could join a very tiny group of people. Only six actors or actresses have won three three acting awards at the Oscars. Of course, Catherine Hepburn has four. She's part of that group. Um, and I asked him backstage on Sunday night after the SAG Awards, you know, what that would mean to him to join that small group. And he was really quite touched. I mean, he, he this, this is a guy that's been doing this for, what, 35 years. And it really is at the top of his game. So I don't think it would bother anybody for him to join that group. And I thought his speech was fantastic because he really did seem genuine when he said, he goes, I, he goes, I'm a God-fearing man. I have faith, God. But I said, listen, Denzel, that boy's going to win again, Like meaning Casey Affleck, who's won 37 awards so far. So I thought he was very genuine uh, in his acceptance speech as well. Best Actress, Emma Stone wins, which I was thrilled with, Chris. I did not like Jackie. I didn't think it was a very good movie, and I was happy that – uh, you know, Portman got the nomination, but nobody else did as far as Best Picture or Pablo Lorraine, their director. Can we now be confident Emma Stone's the frontrunner for Best Actress? I think so. I don't know. We always talk about in most of these awards, the big award shows, usually if there's going to be an upset, it's because there's one alternative for the voters to go for. But in Actress, I mean, I know there's a strong contingency behind uh, Natalie. There's a strong one behind um, Meryl Streep, you know, after her Golden Globe speech. Even even Isabel Huppert has a really strong contingency. So that's the best news for Emma is that the, the, the anti-La La Land or anti-Emma you know, incentive is going to be split among other people, not just one person. Yeah, the Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins, you're right. Either <laughs> with that kind of speech you put herself out there, either that's going to galvanize the voters and say we want to see more of that, 
or it's going to turn people off. I, I think you're right. In this instance, the people it's turning off, the people that don't like award shows or don't like her politics anyways, those that are in favor of it say, yay, Merrill, way to go. We're behind you, right? I think so. And really, you know, that speech came about right as SAG voters were starting to vote. I thought if, if that's going to have an impact anywhere, it's going to have it, you know, with SAG. Surprisingly, even though she's won a ton of awards everywhere else, she only has one film SAG award. Um, she also has one for television. So it's not like she's been knocking the doors down at SAG. So um, that's why I thought she might have had a shot this weekend. But, but Emma winning there, I think, is a big a big deal. And another note about Emma, we just had a story, well, actually, I think it's going up today on our website, comparing, I think it's a wonderful comparison, Emma to a previous winner, similar type winner, Gwyneth Paltrow, who also played in a uh, movie that was going to win Best Picture, uh, Shakespeare in Love, who played, remember, she played an actress yes. in Shakespeare in Love. And a, sort of a light romantic comedy, whereas La La Land's a light romantic comedy musical and both around the same age late 20s so um that's what i thought it was a very interesting comparison yeah that is interesting we're talking with chris beecham of goldderby.com if you check out uh the website you will see of course that law land is up for 14 nominations your best guess chris how many uh is this juggernaut going to win because right now it's obviously the favorite for picture director and many other categories yeah i just pulled up our predictions on this on screen and i need to fix a couple of mine after this weekend but Bare minimum, it's going to win probably eight. It could win maybe in the 11 range, which would uh, tie it for the all-time win record. Um, Somewhere between eight and 11, just depending on how a couple of things break. Yeah, that's pretty amazing to think, because Damien Chazelle, as Dan and I have talked to my producer, the guy's 32 years old, and I mean... I, I get some of this is, okay, people recognize that Whiplash was a, was a heck of a movie and they want to recognize that, but this really is a movie that's gained momentum, and people are loving it. Like, it's a hit at the box office among critics. Even even the detractors, I find Chris say, oh, it's good, but it wasn't that good. But nobody's saying it's a bad movie. At bare minimum, everyone recognizes it's good. Um, what's the best contender right now for Best Picture Twin Cita? Is it Moonlight or is it Manchester by the Sea? If something were to happen to La La Land, which is remote, I would probably say Moonlight coming off the Golden Globe drama win. And Manchester really hasn't won much of anything lately other than Casey. So um, it's, it's, I, think, I think Moonlight is about the only one. Now, there, are, there is a large group of people that think, you know, coming off of the, um, the SAG Ensemble win Sunday night, Hidden Figures is positioned very well. It's in theaters now. It's over $100 million at box office, so it's one of the top box office movies in this nine. And, you know, suddenly winning right before Oscar brothers get their final ballots is not a bad thing at all. Yeah, if Hidden Figures wins Best Picture, Chris, that might be the worst one since Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> I would be appalled. Well, SAG is not... Some award shows are really good predictors for, like, their Best Picture versus Oscar's Best Picture, but... The SAG voters really do envision their job is not to predict Oscar Best Picture. They've only gotten about 50% of those right in that particular category. Um, so I, I would look at hidden figures more like The Help, you know, winning at, at SAG Ensemble. Nobody suddenly said, oh, The Help's going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. I think it was because they thought it was the best ensemble. And I completely agree with you. I said earlier on my podcast, if you like the help, then I think you'll love Hidden Figures, and I agree with you. They like the entire totality of the performances 
Although I would still dispute. I think that Manchester by the Sea have the better ensemble, but you know that's just my opinion. Original screenplay. Oh, ca- Go ahead, Chris. So, especially speaking of the help, it's like the help all over again in terms of they're all. I mean, Octavia Spencer won uh, a SAG Sunday night as part of the Hidden Ensemble. Emma Stone won a SAG. Viola Davis won a SAG. It's like revisiting that whole cast. Yeah, you're right. And I, I'm surprised by Spencer's nomination. Having seen the film, I thought Henson gave the best performance, but I get the fact lead actress is a tougher category to, to crack. I didn't think Octavia Spencer was particularly notable. I, I'm actually quite surprised she got a supporting uh, actress nomination. Writing original screenplay, I think, is very interesting. I would have thought Lonergan was a lock. In fact, of any category, I would have said, oh, he's got this sewn up. Yet here's the competition. 20th Century Women, which was clearly snubbed for Annette Benning. The Lobster, which I love, the great comedy. I'm glad people are seeing it. Hell or High Water. But the one which is going to win, as you said, between 8 and 11 Oscars, that's La La Land. So who's going to win original screenplay, La La Land or Manchester by the Sea? Well, from the beginning, especially once they moved, they determined that Moonlight is an adapted project. So when they split it off, I thought it's going to be just like last year where we knew for weeks the big short and spotlight were going to win the two screenplay categories. I thought it would be Moonlight at Manchester by a mile. But I see more and more and more people now predicting La La Land for original screenplay Wow! Uh, over Manchester. In fact, I'm looking at our experts, which you're one of them. And right now, this is as close a race as you can find. We have 11 predicting, and we'll have more joining in. But right now, 11 predict La La Land and 10 predict Manchester. Um, and that's just experts. That's not the thousands of people predicting, you know, around the world. Um, Chris, I don't that, know. That's, just, that's astonishing. That's astonishing. The, 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 the strength of Manchester is Casey and this amazing script. La La Land, if there's a weakness, it's, it is the script. It isn't particularly original. It's derivative. It's an actress trying to, you know, find her dreams and a jazz musician caught between the integrity of the art and making money. Like, come on. How, how could they do this, Chris? Sometimes things get caught into sweeps. I remember the year, talking about a sweep year, that Lord of the Rings won Best Picture. And nobody, I mean, I, I don't remember, maybe it was Mystic River or something. Nobody thought Lord of the Rings was going to win screenplay, of all things. Um, and it did. It got caught up in the sweep. So that's that's kind of what people are wondering here now. Remember La La Land and Manchester tied at Critics' Choice for Screenplay, which was a real surprise. And then it won, um, it won the Golden Globes, which was a surprise. So it's on this track right now. We'll know more after we see the Writers Guild in a couple of weeks. Okay, we can look forward to that, definitely. Controversy right now is flaming about the travel ban because it's concerning Oscar Farhadi, who's nominated for The Salesman for Best Foreign Film. I've said before, he's one of the best filmmakers going for anybody who saw A Separation or The Past. Uh, it's a real shame, Chris, regardless of anybody's politics, the fact this guy's a great filmmaker and he's not going to be at the Academy Awards. What do you make of the controversy and specifically that category? Because now I know Tony Erdman was the favorite, the German comedy, but The Salesman this past weekend in New York and L.A. did great box office because of this controversy. So does he have a shot now winning an Oscar to Hollywood making a statement against uh, the president's executive order? I think so, but honestly, when the prediction, when the nominations first came out and we didn't know about that, I had the salesman in first because he, the actual director doesn't win the Oscar. They accept the Oscar. The country wins the Oscar. You know, he's won one for his country before. So that plus the, the two words, German and comedy, when you talk about 
hurt friend <laughs> make me made me feel like the sales I think the band is horrible the band is awful and it's certainly uh I, I would love to see him come to the ceremony but honestly that studio is going to ride this wave of sympathy as well if, even if he decides to come there's no way they're going to announce that until Oscar ballots are all in yeah that's well said because you're right. At its bare minimum, if I'm the studio now, I'm going to use this to my advantage. I'm going to say, listen, if you weren't interested in this film, look at how insane this is. Go see it and support this guy. And on its own merit, as you said, you had it as number one because he is a great filmmaker and he did make another great movie. Yeah, I, I, and I don't blame them at all for what I've said. I mean, that's why you hire PR firms and you you, you try to, to work everything to your advantage. I, I think it's between the two of them, although... This movie, A Man Called Ova, I hear a lot of people really chatting about it, and, and it's one of the rare foreign language movies that's up for another category, which is not a big one, but it's up for makeup, so it, it has a little more support than some of the others in this category. Last one here for you, Chris. Pick me up like the good friend that you are. Silence was snubbed. Only one nomination for cinematography for Rodrigo Prieto. As we had spoken, we thought at least Thelma Schoemaker could get in for editing or Dante Ferretti for production design. But an artist I admire so deeply in Scorsese in a film that he truly cared about so much, uh, I just felt for him that he was not nominated or the film was not recognized. What was it? Is it the fact it's a two-and-a-half-hour uh, Christian film? Was it the fact Paramount didn't distribute distribute it well enough? Was it too late a release? What do you think ultimately ended up hurting the film? In thinking about it after you and I talked, I think it's two things, really, because I heard a lot of great comments about it. One is these late, late releases have just got to go. I mean, if you're not, it's not even for the public either, because a lot of movies like Hidden Figures are opening in January for the vast public. But it, within the industry, you better be showing your movie by early December at the latest um, to let it to let it uh, generate, you know, word of mouth and commentary and people chatting about it within the industry. Secondly, if you've got a really hard hitting movie, to me something that really people need to think about and ponder, you should give it even more months than that. They Once they realized what they had, in my opinion, Paramount should have looked at like a, maybe like an April or May release, maybe started out at Cannes, for example, and that, he would have done well there. Let it gestate over the next few months and let people um, remember it when it came to Oscar time. That's a pretty good strategy. You're right. I think too often they get caught up in these late releases, and all of a sudden the, the, the movies just get lost because there's too much competition there. But I hope years from now people do recognize it and appreciate what a great film it was. Chris Beecham of Gold Derby. You can always check out goldderby.com. See Chris's picks along with my picks. You can follow him on Twitter, at Gold Derby. And hopefully we finally get to meet in Los Angeles uh, in a few weeks. Thanks so much for joining us in Cinefall, Chris. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Streaming suggestions. First off on Netflix, check out American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Sarah Paulson won everything for it, and rightfully so, playing Marsha Clark. Um, I, I was a little bit skeptical of just the concept because I lived through O.J. Simpson, and then I and I'm well aware of all the events. So, like, what what new can they unearth? And then I saw the ESPN documentary, which is extraordinary, which is going to win the best documentary at the Oscars. So I said, well, I'm going to watch the show, too. Then I saw a few of the promos. I said, okay, they already got me hooked, and it's Ryan Murphy, and it is spectacular. It is not only 
uh, funny and provocative, but also rather juicy, which is what you'd expect with this kind of a story. And Travolta is so bad, it's good. Or it's so good, it's bad. But he's definitely eminently watchable, along with Courtney B. Vance, who got a lot of acclaim for good reason. Also, Sterling K. Brown, who plays Christopher Darden. That's currently available on Netflix. On Hulu, check out The American President. Aaron Sorkin, terrific script. Michael Douglas stars Annette Benning and the great Michael J. Fox. Also, Martin Sheen as well. Excellent drama, which I enjoyed also as a light touch. Romantic comedy at times. Uh, Revolutionary Road. Speaking of Michael Shannon, who surprisingly got the fifth nod for Best Supporting Actor. He is up this year for Nocturnal Animals. He was previously nominated for Revolutionary Road. Leo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, making Sweet Magic together. A very serious, heavy drama, but beautifully shot by Sam Mendes. And Shannon is the scene stealer. As Kathy Bates keeps saying, he's not well! He's not well! As he's the one character who's going to say the truth to everybody in this marriage, which is clearly in crisis. Also, there will be blood. Ben Lyons uh, who joined us last time, said Silence is going to join the box set United 93 and there will be blood as great movies I never want to watch again. I disagree with them on that. I could watch There Will Be Blood anytime, anywhere. And I drink your milkshake. The great Daniel Day-Lewis currently available on Hulu. HBO Now has a bunch. Uh, Do the Right Thing is probably the one I would most recommend, uh, considering what's... Um, just how powerful it is and the fact that Spike Lee's film is really a microcosm, I think, of civil rights. But also check out Mystic River. If you like Manchester by the Sea, if you like New England stories wrought with tragedy and drama and grief on Mystic River with Sean Penn and Tim Robbins and others is one to recommend. And also since I, I said one Sam Mendes film there, Revolutionary Road, also I love Road to Perdition. Conrad Hall, the great cinematographer, wonderful last shot tableau there with Paul Newman and my favorite Tom Hanks performance. That, check that out. That's available on HBO Now, Road to Perdition. A Scorsese story. So I totally recognize people probably listen to a podcast like this to escape the political climate right now, which is so heated and so divisive. Uh, and I don't mean to step into the fray, only to say this. Scorsese was asked in an interview with Channel 4 UK. There's a big 21-minute interview uh, about silence, and it was excellent. And at one point they asked him about De Niro and a rant against Trump. And Marty said, well, I'm not going to get into that. You know, that, that's Bob's thing. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm here to talk about silence. But when pushed, he did say this. He goes, listen, I mean, you're asking what I think. You know, I'm very concerned. He goes, you know, I'm a Democrat. I vote Democrat. And the House is Republican and Trump's a Republican. And he goes, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a nativist. And, and the interviewer said, I beg your pardon, Marty, because he's a nativist. He's like Daniel Day-Lewis in Gangs of New York. He's Bill the Butcher. Like, that's exactly who he is. <laughs> he's like, you know, what's that movie about? Anti-immigration. You know, don't let the Irish in. Let's just keep it in ourselves. I'm an American. He's a nativist. That's who he is. So Martin Scorsese just compared President Donald Trump to Bill the Butcher, Daniel Day-Lewis in Gangs of New York. <laughs> it was so great. I'm like, that's Marty. Like, now when I watch, now when I watch Gangs of New York again, I just picture Trump just fighting Liam Neeson. Valen! <laughs> Quick thought here, by the way, on directors as we say goodbye. M. Night Shyamalan, welcome back. Um, HBO, for some reason, is running like a career retrospective, I feel like. Every time you turn it on, there's another M. Night movie. So I watched Lady in the Water again because I love Giamatti. And when it came out, I thought it was decent. People hated it. And I said, maybe I just missed the mark. I'll watch it again. And I was wrong. I missed the mark. It's not a very good movie. And I love Giamatti. But like the first 30 minutes is fine. Then after that, you go, hey, what's going on here? Is this like a child fairy tale? And the movie completely falls apart. Like, Knight's career is fascinating because Sixth Sense is awesome. It's like one of the great twists of our lifetime. That and Usual Suspects. Uh, Signs, I thought, was really good with Mel Gibson. I really liked Unbreakable with Sam Jackson, Bruce Willis. That was a great comic movie. 
Then he just lost his mind. Like, the village is awful. Like, that's the twist with William Hurt. And Lady in the Water is bad. And The Happening, which I've never seen, apparently is atrocious with Mark Wahlberg. Then he did The Last Airbender. Like, he had he had a series of flops that were so bad, it would crush other directors. But to his credit, he bounced back. He made a movie called The Visit, which came out last year. It was fine. Um, again, the ending, I thought, was a bit of a letdown. Kind of his movies. But, but he... Listen, he maintained suspense. It was different. He did it on a low budget. He said to Hollywood, listen, I've screwed up all these times. Give me $5 million bucks and I'll make you money. And I think the visit was the budget was very minimal, $5 million, and I think it made like twenty. Okay, great. Now he's back. Now he's got split in theaters, which is a gigantic success. Um, it's overperformed upon expectations. Good reviews. Rotten Tomatoes, 74%. They say James McAvoy is terrific in it. So congrats to M. Night Shyamalan, proof that sometimes it just comes down to perseverance. I don't know if you're a fan or a foe of his movies, Dan, but... Uh, don't you think it's amazing how he went so high to so low? I liked some of the early ones, like you said. I mean, Sixth Sense, that one of the best endings ever, and Unbreakable. They called me Mr. Glass. What a film. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in years. Yeah, I love that ending. You, you get that chill when all of a sudden it happens. Go watch if, if Sixth Sense again. Just watch that last scene. Like, when that ring drops, you're like, oh, my God, he's dead. Sorry if I spoiled it. This is Adnan Burke. Thank you so much for listening to Cinephile. On the next podcast, I'm going to try to catch up. I'm going to try to watch L. Hopefully, the salesman's actually going to be playing somewhere around me. I'd like to see Nocturnal Animals because Michael Shannon got nominated for supporting actors. So, more movies to look forward to. Unfortunately, the founder of Michael Keaton did not do well. Gold with Matthew McConaughey did not do well. So, probably going to skip those. I'll see him on DVD at some point. But thanks as always and appreciate all of you because we're going to the Oscars. Who could believe that? We'll see you next time at the movies. Don't miss out on the next episode of Cinephile. Subscribe to the Adnan Verk Movie Podcast by clicking the Listen tab in the ESPN app. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.